Well, good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? I want to welcome you guys here today and also all of those watching online today, welcome. We're in a series called Win in Rome, and we're actually going through the book of Romans the next several weeks. And if you have your copy of God's Word, turn to Romans chapter 6 this morning. Well, uh, when the Emancipation Proclamation happened under President Lincoln, uh, right after it, there was a slave who was freed. And her family members came to her and, and, and said, you're free now. Because she was having a hard time leaving uh, the master's place and the master's house. And she says, I know. She says, people keep telling me that I'm free. But my old master keeps telling me I'm not free. And I'm still his slave. And they said, it doesn't matter what your old master is telling you. He's as good as dead. The Emancipation Proclamation has freed you. And the same struggle that she had with that, with the physical emancipation proclamation, I want to talk to you today about spiritually how the same thing can be true for us as Christ followers. Because you and I had an emancipation proclamation over our lives to our old master whenever we gave our life to Christ. And this is what Paul wants to get across to the church at Rome in Romans 6. And as we've established the last several weeks, if you've not been with us, I'll catch up on some of the backdrop in history, is that this letter that we're studying is probably the most important letter of all what they call the epistles. That's the letters written to the churches. It's like a miniature Bible. And it was written as one of Paul's last letters. And it was written to the most influential church that was the capital of the Roman Empire that was in Rome. Paul had wanted to visit this church. He'd wanted to get there time and time again and kept getting delayed. So he had not written the letter yet. Well, on his third missionary journey, he has three months as he's sitting in the city of Corinth. And he's thinking about, I haven't made it to Rome yet. I've not got a chance to preach to them. I want to write this to them. So he unloads 20 years of ministry experience in these 16 chapters to the church at Rome. And what he wants to establish to them is them understanding that Jews and Gentiles both, non-Jews and Jews, are both saved by grace through faith. It's not through obeying the Torah, the Jewish law. It's not through being good enough and obeying what the moral laws of the day were. But he wanted to show them that you are saved, you are justified freely by nothing you can offer God. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 5, before we can get into chapter 6, what he shows there is a great argument, even we looked at last week, that he ends it by saying you have right standing with God. If you look at the end of Romans uh, chapter 5, he says that the law just showed you that you were a sinner and how bad you really were because you could never measure up. He says, but now you have complete right standing with God. And that sounds good and great, and he could end there. But Paul makes a shift in Romans 6. And he really starts answering some questions that they've been asking in the church. He starts seeing some of the fallout of what some people are doing, understanding they're justified by faith through grace. They're like, well, cool, I don't have to do anything. Works don't matter. I can do what I want to. So in Romans 6, he opens up by asking three questions that he knows the answer to. They know the answer to, but he asks them anyway. If you have your Bibles, look at Romans 6 verse 1. And he says this, and this is the main crux of this. Well then, since you've been justified by faith, not by the law, should we keep on sinning so that God shows us more and more of his wonderful grace? Because Paul says in one place where sin abounds and grace abounds much more, they're like, well, wow, I guess we can just live in sin. And, and what sin is, don't you understand this? I know it's a church word and we've heard this. 
And sin's not just falling short of God's mark. You've heard that, right? Sin corrupts everything that God wants to have good for us. Anytime you see a broken relationship and destroyed relationship, anytime you see an addiction, anytime that you see somebody just emotionally broken down, you see some, anytime you see the lack of human flourishing, that's sin. Because in the Garden of Eden, there was no sin, and God's intent was for mankind to flourish, to be fruitful and multiply, right? And to enjoy what He had created. So sin gets in and destroys any of that. Um, And he says this here, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? It's almost like he's answered, they don't know what's happened. They've died to sin. He says, or have you forgotten that we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism? Now, that's not water baptism. Water baptism is a symbol. It's when he's showing them spiritually, the spiritual emancipation proclamation of what happened. And he shows them here, he says this, And just as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since, he keeps using since, right? Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. For we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we shall also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, watch this, he died once to break the power of sin But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. And then Paul brings it together about the action steps of what they should do. So you should also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. And then he says again, this is just like the opening. He says, well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law... Does it mean we go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Paul is showing them in these verses, these 16 verses here, it's so chalk full of what happened to you at salvation. Many of us think we just said a prayer and we've dumbed it down to accepting Jesus in my heart. That's good and great, but that's not what happened. Well, what do you mean? Nowhere in the Bible or in the New Testament do you, do you ever see them ever asking anybody to accept Jesus in their heart. Y'all are so quiet today. <laughs> they were called to, to die, to repent and die 
to give up their old life and to be raised to new life. The argument Paul is making is here, here is this. You died when you came to Christ and you said, I want Christ to be my Lord, and I turn from my old life. And do he says, what happened to you spiritually, your emancipation proclamation, two things had to happen. Either the, the master had to die or the slave had to die. And Paul says, you died. And then he says, then you were raised to new life. And he says that to say this. He says that all happened not so you could just keep living the same way you've been living, but then he says so you could live a new life. And so today I want you to understand this and write this down if you have your notes handy. Here's kind of our big idea today is that Christ has given us a new life to live a new way. He's given us a new life to live a new way. He says, and he uses this word baptism, that you were buried with Christ and then you were raised in your life. Do you know that's what water baptism is? So when you see somebody get baptized, or maybe you've been water baptized, I don't know if you even knew this, you are showing the world your emancipation proclamation, what happened to you. When you go under the waters, you're saying, I died. That old person is gone. And not because you feel they're gone. You died with Christ. And when you come up out of the water, you come up as a new creation. Right? Amen. That, that's what happened to you at salvation. So, so all of us have a B.C. and an A.D. us. Like for me, I remember it because it's my mom's birthday and it's coming up soon, March 1st, 1999. That was, before that was B.C. Kevin. That was the Kevin that stole from people and did drugs and sold drugs and lied and beat up people. And that was the old me. And what happened when I, when I gave my life to Christ, I didn't just accept Jesus in my heart. Right? You know, like I just didn't. What happened was much more radical than that. When I prayed and confessed Christ as my Lord, I died. And I came up as a new creature through that prayer. And Paul said, you've got to know that God has given you a new life. You're a new creation. You've been regenerated. Your spirit is now alive now because of the Holy Spirit to live a new life, to not keep living the same old way. And that's the idea he wanted to get across about justification by faith. That It's not just, hey, or like forgiveness we talked about last week. It's not just a, you have a new way of living that God wants for you. And so you got to realize this, though. Many times we continue to live the same old way. Remember the, the struggle that this, this the woman that was a slave had. She had been under that old master for so long, she did, didn't understand what it would mean to have a new master, to have no master, to not have to be under that tyranny anymore. And I think for us, what happens with us is once we give our life to Christ, we've died, we come back up. We still have these old struggles, right? And, and we'll get into that next week. We're going to look deeply into that and what that means. But you have to understand that it's repetitions and habits in our life that can usually crash us. That, that new life is sabotaged. That new way of living is sabotaged by the repetition of habits that we have. And truly, if you want to know who your master is, it's this. Your real master is revealed by your repetition. It means what you just keep doing all the time. You can say that Christ is your Lord, but your life has to show that Christ is your Lord too. I'm not saying you've got to be perfect, but what Paul was getting across is you can't just keep living the same old way over and over again. You can't just say, hey man, I prayed that prayer, I'm good to go, woo, and just keep doing the same old things. 
You find out who your master is by your repetition. And I like what Paul said here. He said this. He said, do not let sin control the way you live. That word, do not let sin control the way you live. Now, in in the New King James here, or even the King James, he'll say, don't let sin reign, R-E-I-G-N, reign in your mortal bodies. What does that mean? That word control or reign there is the word from, from basileia, which means kingdom, a king. And it's the verb there, meaning this, don't let sin be your king. Don't let sin in your life be the one calling the shots of what you should and shouldn't do. It no longer has that control over you anymore. That now you have a new king and a new master. But if you're like me, you give your life to Christ and you keep facing the same old habits, don't you, right? You have these habits that, that they can sometimes sabotage. And I was researching about habits, and this was interesting. So some of the top habits that people want to break um, is, first of all, eating fast food was one of the top ones. Compulsive online shopping. All the men said amen as they looked at their wives. They don't do that. <laughs> right? There's habits like smoking, and there's different ones that people just, you know, they list, they want to grow. But one of the weirdest habits and one of the, uh, the hardest to break was one called trichotillomelia. I, I may be getting that wrong, like, but it's a trichotillomelia. And, and what that is, it's the constant pulling of your hair and curling it with the finger. I have no idea how to do that because I have no, I don't, you know. <laughs> but it's the, con- and, and that's one of the worst and hardest habits, especially for women to break. There's always touching their hair and curling it, right? We all have those habits we want to break. And so the key is this in, in your life. It's, it's understanding that God wants to give you a new way to live, to not keep living in those same old habits that you were living in before you came to know Christ. And it's a process but I think for many of us, sometimes when we hear this, this teaching of grace, that you can do nothing to earn salvation, that you can do nothing to improve your standing with God. It's only through Christ. We hear that. And the fear is this. If we miss this and misunderstand this, we will end up to, we will abuse grace and live as a slave to our sin. So many times, guys, I've watched people confess Christ as Lord, and then continue to live the same way they've always lived. And it's heartbreaking because that's an abuse of grace. Grace is this. Grace is it was freely given to you. Nothing you could do to get it, right? Like nothing. Freely. As we've looked at over and over again, you were guilty and God deserved to kill all of us. Hell and death and grave. But what did he do? He sent his son to take that force. And if we miss this and we keep living the same old way, like Paul said, you just keep on living in these, un, these non-flourishing ways? He says, of course not. That's an abuse of grace. There was actually a monk <laughs> early on, and his, was his, his theory was this. It was a horrible theory, but his theory is this. Because Paul said, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Do you know what this monk, what his theory was? The more I sin, the more grace I can get. So he would go on sin binges. <laughs> Seriously. He would leave the monastery and go out and just like party, like, you know, like Andrew W.K. He was like party like it's 1999. Like he's just like partying hard and come back. And he was so excited because he felt he had more grace than the rest of the monks because he had more sin than them. Now we laugh at that. 
But that's what Paul's trying to get across. Like, no, man, if you've received grace, you just don't keep living the same old way you've always been living. There should be a transformative process in you that happens to you. And here's the part that we have to do. Here's what we have to do personally. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you're going to do this, it's very important that you understand you have to kill your sin before your sin kills you. Right? All of us have, and I said your sin, because all of us have our sin issues personally. All of us have something different we struggle with. The greatest lie that you're going to ever believe is, I have a struggle and nobody else is struggling around me. I watch people and they're worshiping and they're clapping and they're happy, and I bet they would never struggle with the thoughts I struggle with. I bet they would never struggle with this addiction that I struggle with. And you sit in church and you believe that we all have sin. And sin's not a bad thing. Remember, remember what sin is? Sin is, is the, the thing that causes you not to flourish to your fullest potential that God has for you. That's the thing that destroys that, that beautiful place of Eden that God has for us, whether it's a marriage or your job or your mental health, whatever it is. It's an addiction, whatever. Your physical health, right? God wants you to flourish in physical health, whatever it is. And so what we have to do is kill our sin personally before it kills us. See, amen. And, and, and see, in, in the Garden of Eden, this is so important, God told Adam and Eve to keep the, to keep the, the guard, to guard it and tend it, right? What did they do? They let their guard down and let the serpent in. And that's what happens in our lives so many times. We do the same thing. And sin is one of those things that if it's in your life, as you get older, you realize it, it doesn't get better. Like, like you just don't start getting better from these bad habits. Bad habits only get worse over time. Like, it, you know, it starts with something small, then it just keeps spiraling out of control. As a matter of fact, James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote to the believers in the first century. And he said, when, see, when sin is conceived, it grows. It's like a baby that grows and grows and grows. And then what happens is, eventually, it gives birth, and it births death in our life. Anytime you look at the word sin in Scripture, it's always connected to death because the key for Satan in our lives is to get these repetitious bad habits ingrained in us to the point that it takes us out, that it destroys all the good things that the Lord has for us. See, God has given us this wonderful grace through Christ, and Satan hates it. So what does he do? He can't like, reverse what happened to you at your salvation experience. He can't reverse this new life and death in you, but he can make sure that those habits get so ingrained in you that you have a miserable life, a miserable experience, a miserable marriage, miserable friendships, miserable church experiences, miserable. He wants to make you that way. And what we have to do is find those things in our life and evaluate those things in our life and then say, you know what? I'm going to kill this before it kills me because God has called me to a greater life. Amen? So here's what we're going to do this morning. There's three things that we have to do. The first is this, awaken, awaken. Paul tells them to awaken to a new reality. He says, consider yourselves to be dead. Now that word consider in, in the New King James or King James is reckon. And the word there's an accounting term. You may not feel like that you have new life in Christ. You may not feel like that you experienced death, the new life, and you didn't have this euphoria when it happened. I didn't have, anything, I didn't have any euphoric feelings when it happened to me. 
Matter of fact, I come home from giving my life to Jesus. I come home that night. My mom is up, and I told her what happened. And she, like, just goes crazy. Oh, honey, oh, oh I'm so glad. Hugging me. I'm just like, hey, I went to church, and I prayed with the guy up front, man. I, mean, I don't really know what happened, right? I didn't feel any different. So if you're thinking, I don't feel, it has nothing to do with your feelings. Do you know your bank account has nothing to do with your feelings? <laughs> you could feel like a millionaire, but whatever the account, but what the bank account said, you just need your tax returns, right? And you're going through everything. It has, you may feel a certain way about it, but the numbers are the numbers. They're the facts, right? That's the word Paul uses. He says, it is a fact. Reckon yourselves, accounting term, that you died with Christ and you have now been raised to new life to live a new way. He said that's a fact that you, that you were dead, that there is a B.C. and an A.D. I don't care if you feel it. Maybe you gave your life to Christ at so young of an age you don't even remember it. Paul says none of that matters. What matters is that you know the experience that happened to you, the Romans 6 experience. And you've got to awaken to that fact. Because see, some of us, and again, we're going to look at this the next few weeks, we still, because we, 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 we all still sin. None of us are free from sin. Again, your struggle is not isolated. We all go through it. The, the problem is this. You've got to realize even though you struggle with those things, you're not a slave to it anymore. Remember the, the lady I opened up with? She was struggling with the fact. She says, I know, but my old master keeps saying I'm still a slave. What was the fact? What was the reckoning? The reckoning was, no, you've been freed. Why? Well, but I still struggle with these thoughts. I've lived as a slave my whole life. What do I do? The same thing happens to us at salvation. We still struggle with these issues. But you have to realize sin holds no power in your life. Anymore. Awaken to that. The second thing we have to do when it comes to this, to live in this new way and killing this sin that's trying to kill us, is be aware. Don't just awaken to the fact of what's happened to you, right? But be aware of what can happen to you. I think all of us need to take moral inventory and sit down and think about what are the two to three things I think right now that could sabotage the good things in my life. Maybe it's the way you think about something. Maybe it's an attitude. It's anger. It's, I, I'm not sure. Maybe it is an addiction. Maybe it's the way you spend money or the way you eat or I don't know what it is for you. But all of us, whatever that is, need to sit down and say, Lord, help me with this. Help me be aware of my Achilles heel in my life. I'm always surveying that because I don't want to sabotage anything at this church. I don't want to sabotage my wonderful marriage. I don't want to sabotage, uh, you know, the relationship with my son that I have or the good friendships I have. I don't want to sabotage my physical health. I'm always going through and taking inventory to be aware because sin is still a reality. I still have to deal with these repetitions. And I think any believer worth their salt will just mentally think about it. You can be on the drive to work. And think about those things. And once you become aware of them, find somebody to tell. Say, I just want you to hold me accountable and pray for me. I really want these one, two, three areas. I want the Lord to help me with this so I can keep living the new way that he's called me to live because of new life that he's given me. You've got to be aware. And the final thing we have to do if we're going to do this is be adamant be adamant. He says, do not let sin control the way you live. 
Don't let it reign in your mortal bodies. Don't let it have dominion in your life anymore. And friends, it takes, you know, kind of like, like, like a bulldog with a bone. He just won't let it go. You've just got to get there and say, I, I refuse to be defeated by this. I refuse. I think one of the things that you get to do is be kind to yourself as well in this journey. Some of the things that you're trying to overcome, um, it's not going to happen just immediately. Some things do, right? Like when you first get saved, man, there's some things that happen. But there's other things that you've got to be adamant about. And you say, I am not going to give up on this. I am not going to let shame cycles put me back into it again. If you struggle with alcohol addiction and maybe you, you know, you've been doing great and you went and had a drink and you're ready to just go on a binge, right? The sin binge, like the monk. Refuse to do it. Say, I refuse to do that. I'm going to be adamant that I will not let sin control the way I live. Because if I don't kill my sin, eventually my sins don't kill me. Because everywhere I see sin in Scripture, it's always tied to death. God has given us a new life, guys. What happened at salvation was not just accepting Jesus in your heart. It's some little vacation Bible school prayer. You died. You've been raised a new life. And sin has no more power over you anymore. Isn't that beautiful? And when you leave here, keep reminding yourself of the truth of what's happened at salvation. Let's pray this morning. Father, I ask that you would help all of us in here to let us sink in the depth of what you did at salvation. For we were united with your son Jesus in his death and raised to new life. Thank you for that, Lord. I just ask, Lord, that each one of these people in here, those watching online, those listening, that, God, they would experience human flourishing the way that you intended it in every area of their life. Show them the areas that sabotage in that, Lord, that we call sin. And help us know that sin has no, that master has no more power over us. For, Lord, you gave us the emancipation proclamation of our souls at salvation. And I ask, God, that would sink into our, to our souls personally, Father. Thank you for this new life that you've given us. And as we're praying today, church, in this mode of prayer, maybe you have never uh, given your life to Christ. Maybe you've never experienced the, the death and then being raised to new life, the grace that's available to you. Or maybe you just walked away. Maybe you went through a, a big struggle in your life and you say, I want to come back to faith in Christ. I want to recommit to the decision that I made a long time ago. No matter who you are today, no matter where you're at today, God is calling you. And right where you're at, I want you to pray this prayer after me. Make this confession of faith. You say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I need new life in Christ. So today, I give you my life. I turn from my old ways. I repent of my old life. For I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe that he died on the cross. And I believe he rose again on the third day. And God, I believe that I'm fully forgiven because of that. And I'm fully raised to new life because of that. Now help me live this new life. In Jesus' name, 
I pray. Amen.